Brightness of the Father's glory. Lamb of God. Son of man. Image of God. Seed of the woman. Mighty one of Jacob. Holy one. Gift of God. Only begotten. Messiah. Lord. Bright and morning Ruth star. Redeemer. Wonderful. Life. The angel of the Deliverer. Child. Truth. Image of God. Heir of all things. Righteous servant. God of the Holy Spirit. Good shepherd. Eternal life. Light of the world. Right. King of glory. Jesus. The way. God with us. Power of Jesus. God. Jesus. Jesus. Emmanuel. Jesus. 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 Well, I noticed this many years ago. This is an old story. Before arrogance replaced confidence in the NBA, which it's mostly arrogance now as a part of that. Before arrogance replaced confidence in the NBA, there was a game with the Boston Celtics that was going down to the wire. I mean, down to the last few seconds. Now, this is an older story. The coach at the time was Casey Jones. Some of you are like, I've never even heard of that guy. But the next guy you probably have heard of. The coach brought his team in. Last few seconds of the game, he drew up a play. He was telling everybody about the play. This is what we're going to do. And Larry Bird, the star of the Celtics at the time, said no he told his coach no and he said just get me the ball and get out of my way Casey Jones stood up and said I'm the coach of this team and I'll make the calls he turned to the rest of the team he said this is what we're going to do get Larry the ball and get out of his way There's something about confidence, right? A good leader that has confidence is somebody that we want to follow because we know there's going to be some success behind that. We want to get on a team where there's confidence and it's contagious. When a leader is confident, everyone else around that leader seems to build this confidence that we're going to make it. It's going to be good. It's going to be okay. Insecure, apprehensive leaders sometimes we don't go very far when we act like that. And we've got to have that confidence to make sure we're getting where we need to be. Now, is it okay to be confident? That, that would be a question. Like, is, is following Jesus, is this is okay? Is Jesus being confident a good thing? Is there a difference between confidence and arrogance? And can you, can you walk with your head up and your shoulders back and still be humble? Can there be this combination of humility and confidence? Can those things really come together? And where do you step over the line of being arrogant? Well, I think it can, and we're going to continue to look at Jesus to learn this lesson. Now, this is not this is a series we started last week, so we're going all through summer. We're just looking at Jesus, just simply looking at the characteristics of Jesus all summer long. And here's the idea behind this. This is not a self-help talk about how to build your confidence. I'm not here today to help build your confidence. If you're struggling with that, this is not to help you with it. This is a story for us to hear and understand about the confidence of Jesus and how we can follow a leader that's confident like him. So if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 4 is where we are at. I'd love for you to follow along. If you want a Bible, there's one on the table on either side of the room. Go find one of those Bibles. Um, get it open to Luke 4 if you have your phones. Get your Bible app open. Follow, us, follow along there. We've got the um, live event. You can see it um, where we're at with that. But Luke chapter 4 is where we are at. We're starting in verse 14. We did verses 1 through 13 last week. Starting in verse 14, this is Jesus having the confidence to go back to his hometown and preach. And this is a pretty big deal. It says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, which is his own stomping ground. And a report about him went throughout the surrounding countries. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So this was after Jesus had been baptized by John the Baptist. He's starting his ministry. He spent 40 days in the desert being 
um, tempted by Satan. He was fasting. He was praying. He passed that test. And now he's like this traveling preacher. He's going around to different communities, different towns, and preaching um, his story to them. So verse 16, he came to Nazareth, which is the town he grew up in. And as his custom, he went into the synagogue and on Sabbath, he stood up to read. This was a pretty big deal. And this is a tough thing to do. As a preacher, I remember the very first time that I went to my hometown, my home church, the church that I grew up in to preach. Um, it was one of the worst things that, that I think I ever did. Um, it was hard. It was tough. Um, I remember being so nervous about that. And I had preached a few times at other churches, but now I'm back in the church that I grew up in. And I stood up on the stage, and I thanked some of the people that had influenced me as I was growing up. And I got done, and I looked at the clock, and we were like 10 minutes early. I, I missed almost half of my sermon. I don't know. My notes got messed up. Something, I skipped over it all. I got so nervous. I just went through all... Um, I noticed as well that was the only time that I've ever preached at my home church. They, they never asked me back. Um, but I think it was, oh, here's you know, Devin. He's, he's preaching now, and we can have him come in and have him read a little bit, have him preach for us. This, this will be great, right? I wonder if it was a little bit of the same with Jesus. Ah, oh, here's Jesus. Oh, little Jesus. Look at him. Let's let him pray. Let's let him read some scripture this will be nice. I still have that chair that he made. He helped his dad build in his shop. We still use that. That little end table that he helped his dad build, we still have that. I remember babysitting that kid. I remember him growing up and playing with my boys when they were younger. Yeah, this is great. Little Jesus coming back to preach. But yet he had the confidence to stand up. Verse 24 it even reminds us, he says um, that Jesus told him that even a prophet is not accepted in his hometown. And he knew it. But he went there anyway. And he had the confidence to stand up and teach to them. This was tough because this was a very proud Jewish community. They were proud of their heritage. And they didn't want anybody else from the outside coming in and teaching them and telling them how to live, let alone the little boy that they saw grow up. They still thought of him as that. And they were searching. They were looking for things about him. They couldn't question his character. It was flawless. They couldn't question his attitude. It was outstanding. They couldn't question his teaching. It was scriptural. It was Old Testament teaching. They did, however, find something with his heritage. In verse 22, if you see that there, it says, All spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words. But then they said, But isn't he the son of Joseph? And they say it as a question, as if he can't be the Messiah. He can't be the Savior of the world. He's Joseph's son. This doesn't add up. This doesn't work. So we're going to write him off. But Jesus doesn't let that happen. He continues with confidence. Let's look at this, verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Now, take a break for just a second. Let's understand this. He wasn't handed a book where he could just flip from beginning to end anywhere and find what he wanted to read. A scroll, there was a roll of it at the top and a roll at the bottom that was you know, wound up. And in order to go from one passage to another or skip around, you had to unroll it. It took a little bit of time to do and he was handed the scroll in one spot, and he was supposed to read that spot, but it says he found the spot. So he knew where it was, and he took the time to roll the scroll to this position, and then he read this. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now get this, this is Jesus reading this passage. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. Usually they stand up to read and they sat down to teach. So he sat down, he was getting ready to teach, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Mic drop is really what he did. Backed up and said, there you have it. For the first time ever, this was a true reading of Scripture by the one who it was written about. And he said, that's me. That is me. That's hard to do unless you're really confident in what you're saying. It's one of the hardest things to do is to share your mission, to share your vision, to share what God has put on you to go and to do. Have you ever had something inside of you, a mission or a vision or some thoughts, some things that you were so excited about it, but yet you were so scared to let it out? You didn't want anybody to know because they might, they might not agree. They might make fun of you. They might not accept it. They might not listen. They not, might not believe that you can do it. I want to read a quote to you. Um, you're going to be shocked of, of who it is that your pastor is reading a quote from, but I'm going to read a quote by Stephen King. Now, I'm not a big Stephen King reader. I don't read m- most of his books, but there was one book that I did read many years ago. The name of the book was called The Body. And many of you are like, um, what book is that? I don't remember. It was made into a movie. The movie was called Stand By Me. I don't know if it's one many of you maybe have watched from years ago. Stephen King wrote that story behind it. And at the beginning of that book, He writes this. He said, The most important things are the hardest things to say. They're the things that you get ashamed of because words diminish them. Words shrink things that seem limitless when they were in your head to no more than living size when they were brought out. But it's more than that, isn't it? The most important things lie too close to wherever your secret heart is buried, like landmarks to a treasure your enemies would love to steal away. And you make revelations that cost you dearly, only to have people look at you in a funny way, not understanding what you've said at all, or why you thought it was so important that you almost cried while you were saying it. It's that confidence in a vision that God has given to say, I'm going for it. This is what we're doing. Now, about eight years ago, the leadership of this church, we came together and we said, we think God has put it on our hearts, on our, on our um, vision, on our future to relocate. And so we went on a search for some property. And we ended up purchasing 18 acres of land on the east side of Manhattan. Um, it's about a quarter mile north of Highway 24 and a quarter mile east of Green Valley Road. And we were super excited about this property. Still am. Um, we think that God has put this piece on our future. This is for us to go and make a difference on. And we're continuing on this. This is the beginning of the Highway 24 corridor and where a lot of growth is happening for our community, not only now, but in the years to come. But you know, it's not just about a building. It's not just about a relocation. It's about the possibilities and the concept that this is bigger than us. It's bigger than any of us. Our goal is that in 50 years, 100 years from now, 
that when I'm not around anymore, when my grandkids or my great-grandkids might be here or somebody's great-grandkids are here, that they've got a place where they can still go to learn and hear about Jesus. I'm going to do something for you. I want to show you um, something that we did this week. Here's a video of this property. We're going to see a flyover of this. This is um, thanks to Mark Meyer, <clears throat> right? Yeah, this is a video of us flying over the top of that property. You're only seeing a portion of the property of the 18 acres. But if you notice, there's a rectangle piece that had been mowed down a little bit. You can see a little bit of a difference in that. That is where the future building is planned to be, overlooking the pond, overlooking um, Highway 24 down the road just a little ways. The goal is not the building. The goal is the potential. The goal is the people that we can reach when we get there. If you've done any research, if you've heard about what's happening here in Kansas right now, three out of the top four fastest-growing counties in the state of Kansas, three out of the top four fastest-growing counties right now is Riley, Gary, and Potawatomi. Three of the top four are right here, the people that we are reaching, where God has placed us. Um, I like this statistic as well, and this is a map that I'm going to show you of the state of Kansas. This is a projection of growth over the next 25 to 30 years. Projection of growth for the state of Kansas. And you'll notice the darker colored counties that are um, on that. If you can't see the numbers, those are the counties that are projected to grow the fastest over the next 25 to 30 years. And Pottawatomie County is expected to grow by 60% over the next 25 to 30 years, which is where we are moving towards We're still going to be in Manhattan. We'll still have a Manhattan address as a church, but that's where we're moving towards. Um, We did this as well, and this is an older map, and this is some older numbers, so I've rounded these numbers, so I may be off just a little bit. But this is uh, planned homes, planned development for homes in that area. And our property, even though if you can't see it right there, you don't know which one it is, we're almost in the middle of that map right there. And so we've taken a mile radius, a mile radius from around the property that we own, and there are seven, currently 700 homes already built in that area. But there are also pending another 1,100 homes in that mile radius. If you take that mile radius and expand it to two miles, the, the growth is just exponential. It just continues to grow in that area. And we truly believe that God had set that up for us many years ago to be there and to go there and to make that happen. It's a vision that he had given us. And vision is important, no matter who accepts it or how it's accepted. Proverbs reminds us that where there is no vision, people perish. We believe that we were put in that position to be a part of that community, to grow to that. If not, there might be people that are perishing. Helen Keller said it this way. She said, the only thing worse than being born blind is to have sight with no vision. The Wright brothers, they were laughed at when they tried to fly. Henry Ford was thought to be crazy when he came up with the idea of the V8 engine. And get this, I like this one as well. It's a Charlie Brown cartoon. Um, This is Linus holding up his hands. or He's chomping down. It says chomp, chomp. He's eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And in his hands, he says, hands are fascinating things. I like my hands. I think I have nice hands, he says. My hands seem to have a lot of character. He says, these are the hands which may someday accomplish great things. These are the hands which may someday do marvelous works. 
They may build bridges or heal the sick or hit home runs or write soul-stirring novels. These are the hands which may someday change the course of destiny. Well, Lucy looks at him and says, they've got jelly on them. There's always someone, right, that comes along with that. Sometimes it's hard to see beyond your eyes. But when I see us fly over that land, it's not grass that I see. It's not even a building that I see. It's people and lives being changed. The word of God being preached, being stood on truth with grace so that people can come to know him. Having the greatest impact that we can have to reach as many people as we possibly can. And I don't think there was any exception with Jesus when he stood up and he taught. We know that nothing great happened in Nazareth. When he stood up and he taught to his hometown people, nothing great happened there. There were no miracles that happened in Nazareth. There wasn't this big revival that went on there because they could only see Jesus as a little boy, not as their Messiah. Jesus even said it in verse 23. He said, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what you did in Capernaum. Meaning, we've heard you done miracles. We've heard that you have done magic tricks somewhere. Come and show us. It's funny sometimes how even the people that are closest to you have the hardest time accepting the vision that maybe you have. It happened here with Jesus. Many people want to put Jesus, it happens to him today. People want to put Jesus on the same level as other religious leaders. Moses, Buddha, Confucius. He's a good leader. He's a good teacher. But it was Jesus that taught that he was the truth. He said, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears and believes these words will have eternal life. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. will have the light of life. He says, I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He claimed to be not of this world, and his character reinforces it. He claimed to be not of this world. His miracles verify it. His profound teaching ensures it, and his resurrection proves it. Therefore, he had confidence. And Simon Peter believed it over and over He preached it. Be assured of this, he said. This God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He was confident in his purpose. No matter who accepted it, no matter what they said about it, he continued on with it. Confidence, even when it was unpopular. Let's look at this. Let's let's go to verse 25. Continue the story. He is teaching to these people then, and he says this. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, sorry, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. And so if you're like me, you read through this passage and you say, what? I don't get it. What is he talking about? I don't even understand some of this. Um, What does he mean by this? Jesus had the confidence, even when it wasn't popular, to stand up and to confront 
the people of Nazareth. He not only stepped on their toes a little bit, I think he stomped down on them. What he was doing was calling out their sin. He was calling them sinners. He was actually, what he was doing was calling them racists. And the reason behind this and where this goes is Elijah, during his time, during the famine that was in the land, he bypassed all of the Jewish widows and went to the Gentile widow. Elijah, when he was there, he he bypassed the Jewish people and he went to a Gentile person to help them. Well, that upset the people of Nazareth because they believed, again, they were this strong, proud Jewish community. And to hear that the grace of God was also meant for the Gentiles, and Jesus was telling them this, man, they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear that they had sin in their lives. And he wasn't just talking about an outward sin. This was an inward sin in their hearts. He knew what they thought. He knew what they had said. He heard it as he was growing up. And now he's confronting them about the racism. It was an issue then. It's an issue now. It's a tough topic. And we have to speak the truth with love. We have to speak the truth with grace. We have to be able to stand for the truth no matter what. Abortion might be another one. When does the church make sure that we say what's true, even if you don't hear it the right way, even if we might not say it exactly right, are we standing for the truth? Homosexuality would be another one. And notice I said homosexuality, not the homosexual. The person will always be accepted here. The person will always be loved here. We will always love people in this church. We may not agree with what we all do all the time, We're all a bunch of sinners, but we love each other and we continue with grace to tell the truth so that we're all growing. Let me put it in a different way. Let's let's unpack it like this. Let me give you this illustration. Let's say that we have a time machine here today and we've got this amazing time machine and I'm going to put you in the time machine and I'm going to punch in a number and I'm going to send you back in history. And the date that I push in is April 10th, 1912. And I know all of you are like, what's April 10th, 1912? I have no idea what you're talking about, unless some of you are really big fans of this, and then you know it. April 10th, 1912, let me give you a little bit more. I'm going to put you in Southampton, England, on a boat dock. You're right on the shores of the sea, Southampton, England, 1912. And you watch all these people coming towards you, and they're getting ready to get on this big boat. And you turn around, and you look at the side of the boat, and it says the Titanic on the side of it. Now, what do you do? Bon voyage, everybody. Have a great trip. (laughs) Hope to see you back in a few days. You can't do that, right? Knowing that most of those people are going to get on this boat and never come back. They're going to die on this boat. But you have the ability to change the course of history. What would you do? Would you risk being a fool? And trying to stop some of the people from getting on? Would you risk trying to go to somebody and say, don't let this ship sail. Don't make it happen. Don't let it happen. What would you do to change that, to save those lives? Well, I think we've got a similar scenario. We've got friends and we've got people that are loading up, not on a ship that's going to sink, but in a life that's headed for an eternal destiny. 
Are we willing to risk being a fool and to say something, to tell them the truth with grace? Or do we just let them continue to go? We have to be confident in this truth. We still have to do it with grace, but confidence is a part of that. Don't back away. Just because it might be unpopular to hear, Jesus was confident with this truth. And he kept teaching. This is what happened. Verse 28, let's go here. This is what they did to him. Verse 28, it says, When they heard these things, all of them in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and they drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. They were ready to kill Jesus because he said he was the Messiah and he called out their racism. They said, that's enough. We're going to kill you. We're going to throw you off the cliff. And then it says this, so, but passing through their midst, he went away. Now, this was before he called the disciples, so he didn't have any backup. <laughs> there weren't 12 dudes standing around protecting him through these crowds. This was a crowd that was ready to kill him, and I believe he walked through there gently. Excuse me? Pardon me? Excuse me? And he passed right through the crowd. And then he went on preaching because he believed in what he was preaching about. He didn't, he didn't take a vacation or a sabbatical. He didn't have a pity party or a time for sulking. He didn't have to go see a counselor or guidance on what to do next. He had enough confidence in the message that he was sharing to take it to someone else. He confidently brushed himself off and he kept going. Paul did this over and over throughout the New Testament let us not become weary, he says, in doing good, but let us prosper. Let us keep going because we know there's going to be a benefit to this. Don't give up, he says. Not everyone you invite to church is going to come. Not everyone you invite to church that comes is going to like it. No one that you invite to a relationship with God is going to accept that. You may have to try and try again. And just because one person doesn't accept it doesn't mean you should stop because it might be the next person that accepts it. And if you stop just because you got denied one time, you might be missing out on reaching somebody else. Have you ever sat here? Have you ever sat in these chairs watching these doors, hoping that the person you invited shows up and then praying that I don't preach about money that day? <laughs> Just praying that that's good, that we worked hard and we did. Have, have you volunteered so that when your friends show up, we've got something to share? We've got a good product to give to them, to tell them about, so that there's people in the nursery, there's people with the kids, there's somebody to greet them, to make it the best? We have this um, sign hanging up in our office. Um, this was one that we, we said this is important to us. It simply says, this Sunday, maybe somebody's first Sunday. We put this up in our office to remind us that what we do Monday through Friday matters. That what we work towards, it's important. All of you that are here, you came, you came one time for the first time. Somebody who doesn't know Jesus might be showing up next week for the very first time. And are we ready for that? See, life is short. We don't have much time to invite people to church. We don't have much time to build relationships with Christ. Don't give up just because you've been stood up. Have confidence 
Just because you've been rejected once, tell somebody else about Jesus. Have confidence in the message that he has shared with you. We have big consequences. The consequences are eternal life and eternal death. It's worth rejection now and then to keep going and to tell others. Christopher Columbus, in his journeys when he was sailing, he would um, keep a journal. And in his journal, every single day in his journal, he wrote the same line. Christopher Columbus wrote every day in his journal, This day we sailed on. This day we sailed on. He had confidence in what he was doing. Jesus brushed himself off, and he had the confidence in his vision and his mission that God sent him on to keep going and to tell people about who he was. So what is it for you? What's next for you? Maybe for you, you've never accepted that of who Jesus is, and that's what you need to do. You just need to say, I need to believe in who Jesus is, and I'm going to make that commitment in my life to accept him and believe in him. Maybe for you, it's the next step. Maybe that's baptism, and you haven't taken that step to let others know and to publicly declare your faith in him. If that's it, come talk to me. Come let me know. I'd love to share what that looks like and how you take that next step. For some, it might be continued growth. What do you need to do to keep growing? And for others, it might be to invite somebody. I've never shared that with somebody else. Have the confidence, like Jesus, in what he was teaching to jump on with that and to share it with someone else. Let's do this now, if you would. Let's stand together and let's sing out with confidence to the one to the one that we know came to save us. If you would, let's stand together and sing.